Good morning, Vietnam. Why am I in Vietnam? How did I get here? Hey, it's morning. buddy. It's Sean, how did I get in Vietnam? Oh, it's so spooky, scary. Blah. This is terrifying. I'm so scared. <laughs> Welcome to Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so afraid. Oh man! Hey everybody, welcome to Lore Dump. And welcome to Lore Dump, the last episode of this current season where we think of what we're gonna do before your very ears. That's we're forty forty episodes in. We're forty episodes deep, and I think at this point, while we're taking our little season hiatus. Yeah. After this one, I think we should figure out what we're going to do for season three. Yeah, we shouldn't come back to the next season and be like, hey, this is what we're we're still figuring it out. I think we should pretty much decide. No, 100 percent. Yeah, no, 100 percent. That's a really good idea. Most people might do that before a show starts, but we're going to do it at the 40th episode. Because no, those people aren't me and those people are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that those people you hear that everybody else fucking dumb because <laughs> we did do that yeah we i mean we had a plan we just changed our plan yeah it's almost like change. we're complex human beings who change and adapt to the world hey, around us no plan survives contact with the enemy and the enemy is time interesting that's deep yeah. that's that churchill foggy bastard winston churchill is that right uh quoting at me maybe i'm probably wrong no i think i was quoting uh the santa claus three. Oh no he kills father time <laughs> the one where he goes out and yeah. kills father yep. time the one where he this kills is... father time yep 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 hey so real quick 40th anniversary i i gave you two minutes here to present me with our anniversary gift but i still haven't received it so what am i getting Okay, first of all, we haven't been doing this show for 40 years. This is the 40th episode. I don't understand. We barely hit a year. I already no. gave you a gift no. on that episode. because You're you lying. This is, this is part of your fight against no, Father Time. No, no, that old bastard's dead now. We're done with him. I am Time now. You were Father Time? It's only been a year. Tim Allen, I killed him and I stole it from him. Well, I guess if you are Father Time and you say that it hasn't been 40 years, yeah. you're right. But where's my gift? I It hasn't been 40 years. Wow. All right. <laughs> I see how it is. Whatever. That's fine. No, that's cool. Let's do what you want to do, I guess. <laughs> This far into the show, we haven't told the people what we're doing. Sure, let's tell them that then. So, uh, my spooky, scary intro, I guess, didn't give it away. But Josh, what are we doing today on today's episode of today? Well, we're reviewing the newest release from Wizards of the Coast, Dungeons and Dragons, Von Richten's <laughs> Guide to Ravenloft. Ooh, Ooh spooky, scary. <laughs> I'm so afraid. <laughs> I'm so it's a good addition, man. Is it? I think so. I like it. I genuinely haven't looked at it as much as you have. I've I've spent some time with it. I I they do some solid things. Um 
horrors the first thing they do out of the gate is a again which they've been doing more regularly in the books say don't be an ass don't abuse people consider the racial connotations of everything you're doing and the all of that but they also define horror a little bit which is pretty solid because yeah horror is hard to do in D&D. it's nearly impossible to yeah. do in D&D. <laughs> it's just it becomes hackney so fast and like slapstick yeah and then you sometimes you have a player who like you know same calls strada cuckold or something like yeah, that yeah say my fucking name dude <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so they they divide define like some of the things to to look for they talk about literal genres of horror and how those are manifested and how you bring that ambiance in uh which is really cool as well um mm-hmm. just a lot of sort of neat neat content here um there's a sentence there's there's some good equity stuff they still haven't hit the nail on the head but they talk about how they talk about how they often tropes of body horror are villainizing people with with physical disability or with physical differences to other people and how that's not appropriate which i appreciated they still miss the mark i think on some things but i haven't spent a whole bunch of time tearing apart but just as a whole they do a yeah. pretty solid job acknowledging some of the issues that have been in D&D in the past. Um, That's good. Which is interesting. And which is something they're doing with each new source material that comes out. Yeah. Which is both a good and bad thing at the same time. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, there's so much we still have to get through. But thank you for tackling this one issue in this new release. Yeah, it's like it's slow moving, right? Like every time it's like, okay, here's a new thing. Course correct. Yeah, which is, but that means you know, like we've talked about, this edition may go on for a long time and be iterative, but the next edition, hopefully, it's in the core, like it's just handled. (laughs) This, I think, five E is the beta test for D and D plus. Yeah, D and D plus is a good name too. I like that. Yeah, they should hire you. Well, they won't, because I've, uh, I've made apparently I've made Jeremy Crawford a public enemy of mine <laughs> in multiple different formats. I regularly asked him to fight you. That's true. I got nothing against the guy. It's just his rules conflict with mine, but people seem to take his to heart. Oh my gosh. Anyways, we're talking about Van Richten. Yeah, his Raven book. Do people know who Van Richten is? I don't know who Van Richten. You don't know is. who Van Richten is? No. Y'all want spoilers? What's a spoiler? Well, for so what? what are you spoiling for? Who Van Richten is? No, but what would that be spoiling? Well, if somebody's gonna go play Strahd, okay, that's that would spoil it. Yeah, and right. maybe if... maybe there is a spoiler disclaimer here because we're talking about Ravenloft. We're gonna yeah. talk about some Strahd stuff here. Yeah, let's so, start there. Spoiler warning. Spoiler for one of D and D's most famous campaign settings. Yeah, iconic. Which, to be fair. I've never fully played it. And I'm in a campaign in it right now. I have no idea anything in the Strahd campaign. I've never read it, never looked at it. I'm being surprised constantly. It's very nice. Should I not talk about this I don't then? Give a fuck. Go for it. So Van Richten is a vampire hunter. He's a vampire what? hunter. Fuck. Yeah, I gotta that's go. it. Bye guys. Bye bud. Sorry. <sighs> it's crazy that the vampire book has a vampire hunter. 
It's got the one. Yeah. Van, basically, Van Richten is sent to kill Strahd due to a whole bunch of messy backstory. Um, but the way he manifests in the D&D 5e adventure is Rictavio, um, who you oh, run into. Oh, shit. That is That Van did just be a huge big story yeah. for me. Ooh, <laughs> buddy, that's so cool. Yeah, it's very flavorful. So Van Richten yeah. is a very cool lore character. Interesting. Um, and there are some very neat locations in Barovia, if you look at the map, that are directly tied to this character that have sweet, sweet loot. Uh, just saying. So Interesting. You know, if you want to go mess with your DMs. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do You're that. You're monsters if you do that. Yes, that'd be cruel. But uh, we'll try and avoid a lot of spoilers, but Van Richten is a, a, a character of Barovia and the D&D kind of um, yes. Sword Coast setting. So. Okay, that's very interesting because yeah. in my game of Shroud, we've met Rectavio, but he's just a, a he is a carnival fool to me. Yes, so Which is, interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting process. There's, it's a whole cover. It's a really cool story. DMs listening to this, it's a really neat story to just read to use in your own worlds. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, name it Van Slickton or something. Van Wilder. <laughs> It's so weird. He's actually been going to college for like 20 years and he just never completes any of his classes. <laughs> Vampire hunting school. <laughs> National Lampoon's Van Richten is a movie that I want to see. <laughs> I love Van Wilder and Van Helsing go to the same college. Yeah. <laughs> Holy hell. Well, okay. So there's, there is a lot of Strahd in this book and we'll get to a lot of that later, but there's also other stuff that has nothing to do with Strahd and his little plane of nightmares. God, you're so right. There's if, other planes of nightmares. Yeah. And I mean, there's like, they've done it again where they've done a much better job in these more recent books is books is books. Filthy books. Books. Nasty books. Nasty books. Um, <laughs> Wow. We're in rare form today, and I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) They parse out the content that is not setting content quite well, I think. Mm -hmm. Because the the first real chapter, or chapter two, is the character stuff. Yes. (laughs) There's all the new release stuff that all the players want to play with. Is there anything that stands out to you on there? What's Um, what's your favorite thing? I literally haven't read any of these. Do you have one? Uh, I, so the first thing they throw once they, like, they talk about haunted heroes and how players should buy into the horror. Like, the horror settings, the players have an obligation to try and not make a joke of it. So consider that, players. Uh, But there's basically three new lineages, and the underlying current across all three lineage is, they have something called, I think it's called Ancestral Legacy? Is that right? Yeah, they're like the um, Pathfinder races. Exactly. So they layer on top of an existing race. So you say, I want to be a drow dampier. And you inherit a bunch of the drow stuff and then get the dampier traits on top of it, which is very interesting. There's three of them. Dampier, Hexblood, and Reborn. Um, Hmm. I know everyone's going to be super hyped about the dampier because... They get to be sparkly vampires in Dungeons and Dragons, finally. Holy shit. I'm reading, sorry, I'm reading the uh, Hexblade one while I'm listening to you here. Isn't that good? It's very powerful. You can just pull off your hair and make like a little token. 
Reborn is also very powerful. So what what sticks out to you about that Hexblood? The fucking beanie. So they have this eerie token thing where they can move a lock of hair, one of their nails, or one of their teeth, and imbue it with magic until they finish a long rest. This is a racial thing, but mm-hmm. this is a racial ability. And they essentially can give it to someone, and they can use their action to send them a message. Can it, They can literally send to that creature if they're within 10 miles. 10 miles. Which is amazing. Uh, they have an ability called remote viewing, where if you're within 10 miles, you can see in that area, which is amazing. Uh, and I think you can only do that once, and then it goes away. Uh, and then hex magic, you can cast disguise self or hex spells with this tray once per cast. That's really good. It's very good. It's also it's very awesome. cool. It's cool, and it's very strong. It's not like, oh, here's an additional thing that means it's literally nothing. It's it's very strong if you get those abilities. It is. It is. Like, the ability to see 10 miles away through a token is incredibly good. Yeah. It's also... I... it. It's not quite game-breaking, I don't think. I don't think it on paper it's game-breaking, but give it to players long enough. They'll Someone find. will figure it out. Yeah, you shoot an arrow with the token tied to it. All of a sudden, you're scrying on a thing like 500 feet away. <laughs> I immediately just broke it. There it is. It's a racial ability. You can do a level one. God, that's so valid. <laughs> they do do, I should say, as we talk do about do. these things. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. They do the, the same ability score thing where it's uh, one and three or two in one and a one to apply wherever you want. So again, they're ignoring the racial Wait, traits. They stuff. do one in three? You could do one and three different skill sets, I believe. Oh, three ones or a yeah. two and a one. Thank you okay. for articulating that. Far I thought you said a three and a one. I was like, that's not you how that works. Four? No, no. Uh, so that's pretty good. There's, gotcha. there's okay. that again. Just throwing that out there. That I'm pretty sure you're going to see that in every single D and D five E book. Yeah. For the rest of of time, it's not going away, mm-hmm. uh, and it's solid. We've talked about it before. Take a look at It'll- the reborn for me. Okay, What's the, why don't you go ahead and read it off to me while I scroll down. So the Reborn basically is like um, like a Frankenstein's monster idea mm-hmm. or somebody who's been raised from the dead. Uh, and again, it's ancestral legacy, all of that jazz. Um, but it's got this thing called Deathless Nature, um, which essentially grants you advantage against diseases and being poisoned uh, and also resistance to poison damage. So you're getting a, desist- a resistance and advantages on two um, stats there. You get advantage on death savings throws, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen them do that before. You don't need to eat, drink, or breathe, which comes with about 800 different races at this point. Um, And then you don't need to sleep, and magic can't put you to sleep. So it's just the elf sort of elven racial passive there. Um, And then the four-hour trance ability, which you get with the monks and the eladrin and all that jazz. But it's an interesting combination because essentially you can take a lot of specifically elven things and put them on any other race i okay help me understand this because i haven't read this whole thing what's to stop everyone from just becoming a lineage class there's a bit of a problem there so the way that the legacy works is if you replace a race with this lineage you can keep the following elements of the race so any skill proficiencies you gained um, and any climbing, flying, or swimming speed you gain from it. Um, if you don't keep any of those elements of y- 
or you choose the lineage at character creation, you gain proficiency at two skills of your choice. So I suppose there are you it says you it doesn't say that you get your racial passes here passives here in the ancestral legacy. It says you only keep the proficiencies and your climbing, flying, or swimming speeds. But if you were an Aracocra, you would get your flying speed. And yeah. then a bunch of resistances. Hmm. So there, there are some... Li- it's very powerful. It's very powerful. There are some limitations there, because you don't get all the special features of the races, but you can take flying creatures and give them dwarven poison resistance, uh, elven sleep resistance, elven... Um, uh, the sleeping thing, the uh, the trance, like... And that's for on the undead one? That's the reborn, yeah. And you also get advantage on death saving throws. Where does it say you get that? That's under deathless nature. There's a bullet in Oh, you just get, okay. You You just don't get get to add the dwarven things on, but you get those. Yeah, I'm giving them equivalencies in game, but you just get all of those things, that whole list of stuff. Yeah, making an Aarakocra sleep like an elf, be as unkillable as a dwarf, and not have to eat, drink, breathe, or sleep. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's solid. It's very powerful. So they're they're interesting. There's a lot of I think the way I would work these into games is as story-based rewards that were discussed with the players. Not to say yeah. that they're not accessible out of the gate based on backstory, but it would be neat for somebody who encounters a vampire to become a dampier. For somebody who makes a pact with a hag become a hexblood. Yeah, it's one of those things that can happen further down the road. Yeah. But again, it is very strong. If you get to keep some of them, some of them are weaker, like a tiefling loses a lot of stuff if they go to a hexblood or a reborn. Yeah, their infernal Um, lineage and everything will be gonzo. Yeah, but there's a lot of things it's like, this is just a better race option for you. Yeah. I also noticed that on the uh, Reborn, there's the ability to add a D6 to any ability check. Mm-hmm. Just, just in Bardic Inspiration. <laughs> you get to, immediately after seeing the D20, uh, you can roll a D6 immediately after seeing the number on the D20 and add the number on the d6 to the check you can use this feature a number of time equal to your proficiency bonus which is very good race a scaling racial feature fucking powerful yeah (laughs) it's so fucking powerful they're very strong this was the one when we were talking earlier i was like reborn is scary yeah reborn is broken yeah (laughs) that's i mean not there's not i think all of these are good let me just read the uh the one we skipped over the dampier one Spider climb, yeah, it's really great. All of them are great. Yep. <laughs> you just get much. spider climb. I saw climb spider climb. And I said, yeah, that's really good. You also get vampiric bite, which I'm assuming allows you to heal a little it's bit. It's a real bite. small self heal. It's like a D4 plus your Constitution modifier of healing if the Is attack it a bonus hits. Action? Uh, let me see. I think it's a regular attack. Your fangs are a natural weapon. Yeah. Your Constitution modifier. Yeah, you have to use an attack to do it. Oh man, while you're missing half or more of your hit points, you get advantage on the roll. Hmm, that's pretty good. It's kind of neat. It's not a construct or undead. You empower and fall away. You regain hit points or you gain a bonus to the next ability check you roll. 
you also Damn. get this scales. This you get the this the number of your proficiency. So you yes, can do this as many times, scales. which is again, so all of these scale, which is a, not something you get a lot with racial features. Yeah. God, that's fucking crazy. They're also really, really fast on base. Dampiers have 35 feet of movement. And that's if the race you previously were had less. Uh, so you don't get the race's speed. You just you, gain their you, flying speeds, I believe. Oh, you know, you're right. If you just pick this out. of Yeah, the if you're a centaur, it comes back as a fucking Dampier centaur. Yeah. First of all, you've got spider climb. That's fucking close out centaur, the gate. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, so. Hey, I got a new character. Um, I think Salvage is going to take a vacation. <laughs> I've got a new character. I want. Yeah, you're going to drop this guy in. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. A centaur dampier. <laughs> a centaur. It's you're going to have to be careful with these ones, DMs. Yeah, they just ignore all three of these races forever. All right, what's up next? Dark gifts. <laughs> Dark gifts are very neat. Um, yeah, they're basically like. They're basically like feats that have positives and negatives to each other. Is what it boils Some of those negatives are nearly non-existent. Yeah, of or course. up to the DM's discretion. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of them are like, does the DM lean into this or not? Because yeah. otherwise it's just a free feat. The idea is that you get them for making a bargain, like a almost like a warlock makes a bargain with an entity to get warlock powers. Yeah. I don't um, even think it's a feat, really. It's just it's something not. you have. It's like a boon. Yeah, you just get it. It doesn't fill... You don't have to have a feat slot open to get these. Just the yes. DM can hand them out. There's a lot of them. There's, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's nine of these things. What are your two favorites? Let's go with that. Uh, I really like Mistwalker um, okay. a lot. Um, Mistwalker. Mistwalker is the one that you basically... You cast Misty Step. Yeah. No spell slots. Hmm. hmm. It's very, it's very Barovia flavored because of, you know, the eldritch mists that surround that space. But uh, basically you get free Misty Step. Um, you have access to Misty. It like adds it to your spell repertoire as well. Cause you can, yeah. If you have a second level spell or higher, you can cast it using them. Yeah. Interesting. Misty Step, basically, which, you know, it's pretty good. You get a Mist Traveler. When you enter the mist's intent on reaching a specific domain, you are treated as if you possessed a mist talisman key. This is a flavor thing. A lot of these dark domains that we're going to talk about, there's mists separating them. The yeah. idea is that they're just these like spaces that people have been dropped into that they're confined to. Which again, very Barovia. Like if you walk beyond the limits of Barovia, you just walk back into Barovia or got killed by horrible monsters. Like yes, but this one apparently is. Uh, apparently allows you to choose which one you walk into. Yeah. Yeah, it lets you go between domain domain. So there's like a element of flavor you could do here, like around a story, if you wanted them to be able to walk from dark domain to dark domain. Uh, but then the mm. negative is called Poisoned Roots. Uh, when you finish a long rest in a place, uh, the world around you in a 10-mile radius becomes a siphon that will eventually leech away your vitality. You can remain in the area safely for a number of weeks equal to your constitution modifier, a minimum of one week. Uh, thereafter, each time you finish a long rest in an area, you must succeed on a DC 15 constitution saving throw or gain a level of exhaustion that can't be removed while you remain in the area. So hmm. if you're in a space and you only have 
again, it's weird. Like, you could be f- four weeks with a plus four on your con. That's not really going to impact people. When you finish a long rest, the world around you within 10 miles becomes a siphon that will eventually to your power. You remain safe for a number of weeks equal to your constitution modifier. So if you leave, like say you get to a new place, sleep, and then go on a journey like 10 miles away. You're good. And then stay beyond that for a night. You come back. That's it? That's fine? I think yeah, it would reset it. It resets it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. And this could have interesting implications in early levels of play, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, or if you have like a, a set base of operation, like we're working out of Velaki for now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is the dark domains is where this becomes very impactful because yeah. the whole area of Barovia is not that big. It's like right. 50 miles by 40 miles or something. It's not a huge space. Yeah. Um, might be even less than that. Uh, but I, I like it. I, I like the flavor on these. I. It's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> yeah, that's where I see this not being utilized like the DMs. Just to say, no, no, I'm not going to keep track of that. So you get the benefits without getting most of the negatives. Yeah. Absolutely. Which could be cool. They just like occasionally throw it in as like a, oh, hey, by the way, you didn't move. Gotcha. 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 Should have been on the move. Some of these have zero negatives. Yes. Touch of death, I think. You could focus your deadly touch against your foes and as an action, you make one unarmed strike on a hit. The target takes an additional 1d10 necrotic damage on top of your unarmed strike. The damage increases by 1d10 when you reach 5th level, 11th level, and 17th level. You can literally punch death into people. That's a monk thing. Yeah. You also get more stuff. You get inescapable death. When you hit a target with an attack roll and deal necrotic damage, you ignore the target's resistance to that damage. Not immunity, though. No. If it's immune to necrotic, then they're golden. But you get to ignore necrotic resistances, which is pretty good. Especially in these dark domain settings where everything has necrotic resistance. And when you start your turn grappling a creature they take 1d10 necrotic damage yeah so you just death hug people that's mean that's very good it doesn't have any listed side effects but any good dms like if you touch anyone they're gonna get hurt that's valid yeah i wouldn't allow you to just get free necrotic damage ever yeah you can't like touch those you love or like pets or anything like that because we'll kill them which is more than fair for what you get here being able to grapple people and do a d10 of damage at the yeah. same time, that's basically a free weapon attack on a grapple. Yeah, and the the death touch is an action, like a full action to do an unarmed strike. Yeah. So you can't do two attacks or three attacks if you're a fighter. Yeah. So that's good. It's a, it's, it's a neat, flavorful thing. I like the idea of like a necrotic monk. <laughs> that would Honestly, be Honestly, cool. yeah. Well, that's the, the way of the long death. Oh, that's true. I yeah, think they can top. do something like this. Pretty similar. Yeah. So, what? is that, are those your two favorite? Those are the two ones that I found particularly interesting. What do you What do you got? Uh, I've not read most of these. Let me see. Let me see real quick. Uh, symbiotic being. Mm-hmm. This one looks. It's very complicated. <laughs> Yeah, that one, I picked the wrong one. Watchers. What's the Watcher one do? Watchers is neat. Uh, as an action, you can infuse the uh, presence guiding Watchers for one hour. 
For the duration, you gain advantage on intelligence, investigation, and wisdom perception checks. And you can't be blinded. Oh. It's almost What's the robe of eyes as a, like, charged ability. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> There's no ethereal uh, plane stuff, but. For one hour. Dread Presence, you have disadvantage on Charisma Deception, Charisma Performance, and Charisma Persuasion checks made against the creatures that can see the Watchers. And you have disadvantage on saving throws made against the Scrying spell. Oh, Jesus. Whoa. That's really bad. Yeah. You can temporarily disperse or hide the Watchers with some effort. With one minute of work on a successful DC 15 charisma animal handling check. Wow. You can suppress the borrowed eyes and dread presence for one hour. Once you successfully suppress this feature, you can't do it again until you finish a long rest. This is fascinating. It's very strange. It's it doesn't seem like that much benefit. Again. Yeah. That one's the one that's like, this isn't that beneficial. I like the flavor. I love the idea of being followed by a flock of ravens that just yeah. weirds everyone out and you can see through their eyes. That's a cool yeah, like, flavor. It is. But yeah, but mechanically. <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> it's an annoyance. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you wouldn't interact with anybody at all. Scrying yeah. would fuck you. And scrying is so important in D&D. And you would never know if you were getting scryed on. Yeah. I mean, and it's a lot time. of effort to hide those animals only for an hour. Yeah. And once you succeed on it, you can't do it again for the rest of the day. Yeah. God, that's good. Still a cool, interesting. It's good way. for the DM. Yeah. It's not good for anyone else. Uh. The Echo ones basically just you have like past lives giving you extra skills and proficiencies in your head. Which is interesting. Yeah. Whispers okay. gives you like message and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Living Shadow gives you Mage Hand, some sort of ranged attack. Yeah, the Shadow Strike is neat because it basically makes your melee attacks. Uh, you can increase your reach for the attack by 10 feet. The way I'm reading that is increase by 10 feet. So it's 15 feet. Well, if you have like. Because it's five yeah. feet reach on most weapons, yeah, right? Yeah, if you have like a polearm or something, it's... 15 feet. feet is solid. Yeah, I have 20 on a polearm. And a whip, it's 25 or 20? 20. 20. I think it's 10 foot on a yeah. D&D whip. That's, that's really neat, honestly. Immediately after you make an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, and roll a one on the d20, your shadow exerts its will of its own and might assist or hinder you. Ooh. It's Peter Pan. Yeah. That's I interesting. I really like the idea of this on an Echo Knight, and just the Echo has the ability to, like, gain control of itself. The Echo is a person. Yeah, that's yeah. been, like, lashed to your... Well, that sounds terrible, but it's, like, been bound to in some way, and it can free itself. It's interesting. That'd be really interesting. And you get a little added benefit of 15 feet of reach. Yes. Really cool. Or 10 additional. Or 10, excuse me, 10, yes. To, to 15 or 20. Yeah. It is, I will say there's a limit on that Shadow Strike. It's not like you can just do it with every attack. It's a proficiency thing. Yes. Uh, which is, balances it. It's not like just you always have a billion miles of reach. But it's still very powerful. 
I like these as something that the players can't choose. Yeah. No one can ever choose to get one of these. Yeah. I like that. It makes sense given the potency of some of these that you not put them in yeah. the lever leveling structure. So that's kind of the dark gifts section. Okay. And then we've got the subclasses. Ah, the subclasses. Everyone's favorite. The bread and butter. There's two. Okay. The College of Spirits Bard and the Undead Warlock. Ball bulge of Cards Spirits. Yeah, that's how they named it. That's right. That's what my brain just tried to make me say. Bollage of Cards. The Bollage of Cards. Yeah, the College of Bards Spirits College. The College of Spirits Bard. <laughs> the tarot deck user in yeah. your group. <laughs> literally. This is for them. Like, literally, it is designed to be a tarot deck yeah. uh, character. Or Taroka, so it's not appropriation, I think is what they call it in D&D. Yeah, they're worried about appropriation in D&D at this point. I know. <laughs> After all the issues with the Vistani and everything yeah. they've done, yeah, they just... <laughs> they just went straight for, like, the Vistani are drunken idiots yep. and work for the evil overlords. But let's not call it a tarot deck, that's just wrong. <laughs> Fucking Christ wizards. They, that's a place they just... They're doing better, but the Vistani is a problem. They need to yeah. fix that whole thing. Like, they tried to at the last Strahd release, but like, hey, don't make them drunk. <laughs> hey, thanks. Cool. Thanks. So, first ability, I was reading it while you stepped away for a second, mm. is very good. It's incredibly good, actually. You know the person. guidance cantrip, but it has a 60-foot range. That is true. It's very Just good. You need to touch them. You, you got saw. this. I believe in you, ghosts. Who are you going to call? Yeah, they get a lot, too, with this subclass. They do. They have three things at third level, which is yeah. really powerful. That's bonkers. Um, which the second thing is is more specifically a sixth level thing, but it's a little weirdly written. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's a This opens up here and actually happens at six. Yeah, it talks about your spiritual focus because you're not like a musical bard. It gives you like candles, crystal balls, uh, taroka decks, spirit boards, stuff like that you can use to channel your ghosts. But yeah. at sixth level, when you cast a bard spell, you deal damage or restore hit points through your spiritual focus. Roll a d6 and you gain the bonus to the damage or healing equal to the number rolled. So it's just free extra healing or damage, which is really good. Solid. Uh, and then another third level ability, you reach out to spirits and essentially you tell the spirits tale and there's a table that I think you have to roll on. Yeah, it's the Bardic Inspiration Die table. It's a D12 table. Yeah, and you randomly roll to see which spirit comes to you. Yeah. And then you tell their tale in the form of an effect. And by activating it again to get a new effect, the old one fades. You think you're well, I mean you've got limited resources in your Bardic Inspiration. It's kind of wild magic barbarian -y in that you don't know what you're gonna get here. So the utility yeah. is a little meh on this. It is, but the the barbarians they have more limited wild magic surges, especially early on. Like later on they can just do it every turn. Yeah. Which is funny. Um <laughs> But this one is 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 very strange and it has a bigger table than I think the Wild Magic Barbarian does. Yeah, it's a lot bigger. This table is huge. It's a D12 you roll. Yeah. 
uh, tell the clever animal, the renowned duelist, the beloved friend, the runaway, the avenger, the traveler, the beguiler, the phantom, the brute, the dragon, the angel, and the mindbender. Yeah. Mindbender is actually very powerful. The, uh... Yeah, it is. That's neat. You evoke an incomprehensible fable from an otherworldly being. The target must succeed on an intelligence saving throw, or take psychic damage equal to three rolls of your bardic inspiration die, and be stunned until the end of its next turn. Yeah. That's the effect of this. It's very good. Yeah. Till the angel, you regain, or the target regains hit points equal to two rolls of the bardic inspiration die plus charisma modifier. And you end one condition of the following listed effects, blind, deafened, paralyzed, petrified, poisoned. A lot it's, of very specific ones. It's so weird. Because like the tale of the phantom, the target becomes invisible until the end of its next turn or until it hits a creature with an attack. Well, normal invisibility stuff. If the target hits a creature with an attack during invisibility, the creature it hits take necrotic damage equal to the roll of your bardic inspiration die and is frightened of the target until the end of the frightened creature's next turn. So there's like this. You make your so friend you... invisible to scare the bad guys in this one. Yeah. You literally get to roll, find out which one you are, and then pick the target, which is good. I didn't... Reading that, I was very concerned that you were going to target someone, make them invisible on accident, and be like, oh, whoops. Whoops. Because it is like... it. Is, yeah, so that's real, a really important clarification here. Yeah. Is you pick your target as it goes off. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. you could be screwing yourself. Like, if you were to hit an ally with that tail of the Mindbender... Yeah. You're just smacking them around for no reason. But 6th mm-hmm. level, they get the Spirit Session? I don't yeah. know what to think about, about the Spirit Tales stuff. Let me see. It's just... it's a. You conduct a ritual with the number of willing creatures equal to your proficiency mod- or bonus, including yourself... At the end of the ritual, you temporarily learn one spell of your choice from any class. That's really good. Hold on, there's more. The spell, the spell you choose must be of a level equal to the number of creatures in the conducted ritual or less. The spell must be of a level you can cast, and it must be in a school of divination or necromancy. Hmm. The chosen spell counts as a bard spell, but doesn't count against the number of spells you know. Once performed, the ritual can't be do so until you take a long rest, and you know the chosen spell until you start the long rest. So at the beginning of the day, you essentially do this to get a free necrotic, or not necrotic, excuse me. Yeah, Divination necrotic. Divination or necromancy or, spell. Yeah. That's Which, interesting. It's very good. Yeah, wow. Because you could literally just prepare Revivify every day. That's true. And it's not random. You just get to pick one? You get to pick one of those two schools. Wow, that's good. Yeah. That's a mi- that's also another s- another known spell, because it doesn't impact it's also your own an spells. Hour, it doesn't you yeah. So if you get jumped in the night. Yeah, well, yeah, you won't have that spell once you go to bed. Yeah. But you'll have it when you wake up in the morning, hour for breakfast, and some spirits talk. And then the rest of the day you have that spell prepared. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Um, you also have to have everyone help you do it, which is like a time sink for the whole group. Yeah, the party's got to come together. and mm-hmm. Mystical Connection. This is their level 14th ability. Hmm. You now have the ability to nudge the spirits of Tales from Beyond, 
towards certain tails. Okay, so you basically get to uh, have more ability to choose what tail gets summoned. Yeah. Whenever you roll the spirit table, you can roll twice and choose the whichever effect you want. Oh, interesting. Yeah. If you roll the same number on both dice, you ignore the number and choose any effect on the table. Snake eyes. Exactly. Then you could do whatever you want. Yeah. So it turns it into basically like a a one in six chance from a one in twelve chance. Not exactly, because that's not how math works. I don't know how mu- I don't know how numbers work, but yeah, yeah. Because it's it, a one in twenty-four chance. No, it's probably higher than that. Yeah, because of the dual dice thing. Hey, we're not gonna. We're math. not gonna do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that class isn't incredibly broken. Yeah, it seems. It seems weird. It's definitely strange. I wouldn't advise like a first time player pick up this class because there's just things oh, to juggle. No, 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 no. I would very much be against the first time player <laughs> playing that class, actually. And I think <laughs> you would want to make it available to people who really role play. Yeah, like, that's a good call. Because otherwise people are just going to go, hey, can I get my D12 today? Hey, can I get my spell today? And it's yeah. it's going to be just completely them just using it to be a bard with an extra spell on their spell yeah. list. I would I could see this being used by a very uh active role player who like doesn't it's not like spirit related. There's so many different ways you could flavor this to make it more less gothic horror and more just like fun. Yeah, it could just be a storyteller, like a bard well, yeah. orator who tells stories that come to re- like life. Yeah, you could just find a book too like a magical yeah. fable thing that shifts wildly you've got aesop's stories. fables that tells different <laughs> tales <laughs> you and your fucking canterbury tales <laughs> it's a story inside a story inside a story they're fractal stories all the way down <laughs> it's fractal fiction <laughs> oh my god that's neat though i yeah i don't it is a good good one it just requires some i think some i hate to use the word experience but you know what i mean like some yeah finesse then we've got yeah. the undead warlock oh warlocks which is another necromancer without being a necromancer uh, pretty much yeah they got a patron from the uh, dark realms or whatever the fuck yeah some lich somewhere giving them powers magical some power big skeleton somewhere soaking up all the energy of the universe yeah dumping it on them they get uh, an access to expanded spell lists. Same old, yeah, same old. False Life and Bane are the first great. levels. Yeah. Uh, blindness, Deafness, Phantasmal Force, second level. Phantom Steed uh, and Speak with Dead, third level. The Phantom Steed is neat. Uh, fourth yeah. is Death Ward and Greater Invisibility. Uh, and fifth is Anti-Life Shell and Cloud Kill. Hmm. Bane is neat to have. Bane is interesting on a warlock because it scales. Yeah. Which is very nice for a caster yeah. whose spell slots only go up. <laughs> yeah. It only sucks if you have like three targets. And it's like, okay, well, what did I need this for? At high level. Yeah, you're just throwing away this massive spell for no reason. Yeah. But um, it would be cool. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been like shocked by a warlock's extended spell list. It's never like, oh, that's the one I need. They're always pretty, like, cool. Yeah. It's fine. 
does the job. The one I'm on board with the most is like the Fiend one, but that's just because I like the Fiend Warlock pack because you get all those temporary hit points and all that other shit. Send him through hell. Fireball. Fiend is very good. Yeah. yeah. The, the problem uh, with the Warlocks is you have your your um, Fiend and your... Um, Jesus, the other thing. Great old one? Yeah. Like, you, you have your... Or you have your patron, and then you have your warlock, like, your Pact of the Chain or Pact of the Tome and all that jazz. So, like, yeah. both of them seem a little bit lackluster independently a lot of the time. It's a mm. weird, like, you pull from two places, um, which is good. Like, it adds versatility, but it's also, well, the, like... the Pact of the Blade, Tome, whatever those, those are supposed to come from the patron. Right, they're granted by the patron, but I'm saying, like, you could take fiend or great old one or fey arch fey and be a pact of the tome warlock or whatever you know what i mean so you you all a cart out of both column a and column b with these but it means that when they're designing it it feels like they can't put too much into column a because then column b might become unbalanced so like the spell lists that you get from the patron selection column never seem to be particularly like glittery That's fair. It's like a design style for the class. Yeah. It's also, I don't know, I look at these spells and I'm like, these are all spells that normal warlocks don't have access to. Like the base level warlock does not have cloud kill, greater invisibility, speak with dead. Like, really? Why not? (laughs) Exactly. Okay, I guess. Sure. It is strange. Yeah, that's such a restricted list. But what do they get as specifically as an undead beyond the spell? You mean the form of dread? Oh, Judge Dread? You manifest as an aspect of your patron's dreadful power. As a bonus action, you transform for one minute. You gain the following benefits while transformed. Temporary hit points equal to 1d10 plus your warlock <laughs> level. Ooh. <laughs> level one. So two level. at level yeah. one. Minimum, yeah, minimum to level two. one. Eleven maximum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> once, yeah, once during your turn when you hit a creature with an attack roll until the end of your next turn, you are immune to the frightened condition. Then you have a number of uh, transformations equal to your proficiency bonus, and can't get them back until a long rest, which is important for warlocks. This is useless at later levels. I mean, the the shield is kind of good for the like the bonus to hit points, and being immune to fear is okay. The, yeah, I guess yeah, you get a minute of fear immunity, but yeah, you got to get it off to make sure you know it's it's, it's very like it's, situational. It's not as good as the the um, druid spore thing, mm-hmm. the wild shaping spore druid where they get those temporary hit points. It's not as good as that because they're not as many hit points, but it's kind of like that in this lackluster sort of way. Can, uh, I, cons- can I conspiracy theory at you a little bit from for this cl- subclass? You know what? I'll allow it. You'll allow it? Okay. I think that wizards wrote the Dampier, and then they were like, but if you want to roleplay like a full vampire, you just take the warlock undead class, and then you get like a vampire transformation and you get these like this is this is just if you want to be a full vampire you take dampier and the warlock undead class and that gives you a vampire 
Interesting. That's my that's my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory based on the way that this class is written aesthetically. Is that if you want to play a vampire, you just mash those two, or a vampire, you mash the two together. Well, I mean that is that is an interesting uh, way to go about getting this class. Is you are someone who woke up in an open grave and you're like, oh shit, I've been sent back here by some fucking nightmare abomination. Yeah. Turn me into a vampire. You could just take this, like at the beginning, you could take Dampier in this class because it's a level one, it's a warlock, and just be like, "Oh, hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm a vampire." Like that is what happened to me. My backstory is I was bitten by a vampire, and it's given me this warlock class. But I'm a vampire. They are my patron now. Yeah, your patron is literally Strahd. Thanks, Spell Daddy. Which is neat. Like I'm not opposed to it, but that's where my mind goes yeah. with this aesthetically. I mean, it makes sense. Um, oh, I mean, the next one. Your patron's power has a profound effect on your body and magic. You do not need to eat, drink, or breathe. There you go. That's There's redundant that to nature. the dampier thing. Though. Yeah, I know. But yeah, this is very this vampire. is for people who want to be. They very much want to be that elf vampire, not a dampier. Damp- that's true. Uh, oh in addition, goodness. once during each of your turns, when you hit a creature with an attack roll. And roll damage against the creature. You can replace that damage type with necrotic damage. While you are using the form of dread, you can roll an additional damage die and determine necrotic. So that's that's where that it gets better ability gets a little bit more. Yeah. Like because honestly, interesting. rolling the um, eldritch blast out with necrotic damage and doing a little bit extra damage. That's solid. I think it it's is... only when you hit a wait. Once during each turn. Yeah, so you can do like an extra Eldritch Blast every turn, essentially. I like... I hope that there's more of this. We'll see. I like the idea that that feature enhances through 6th level, 10th level, 14th level. Like, that would be good class design. That'd be interesting. Yeah. We'll see if it comes up again. It might not. It's a neat way of doing it. Uh, The next one is the Necrotic Husk, which is actually a very interesting ability. Uh, your connection to undeath and necrotic energy allows you, or now, well, what's that it, word? It gives you resistance to necrotic, it saturates your body. Saturates your body, it resists the necrotic and radiant, or no, necrotic damage. Yeah. Uh, and transforms your form of dread, you instead become immune to necrotic damage. That's so actually- it does increase again. That is good. I like where they're going with this all of a sudden. Yeah, so it does- slowly grow with you as you do that's great i'm fully behind this now (laughs) yeah (laughs) just because of that in addition this is my favorite part in addition when you would be reduced to zero hit points you can use your reaction to drop to one instead and cause your body to erupt in death energy (laughs) each creature of your choice within 30 feet of you takes necrotic damage equal to 2d10 plus your warlock level which there's no save from so that they just take that they just take a ton of damage uh, and you gain one level of exhaustion. Once you use your reaction, you can't do so again for 1d4 long rests. That's so, so you, cool! You save from death in this big explosion of nightmare energy. Get tired, yeah, and then yeah, can't do it again for a few days. I'm, like, falling in love with this as we get deeper into it. Yeah. I think it's really lackluster early on. Mm-hmm. This is really good at 10th level. Uh, 14th level. Spirit projection. Your spirit becomes 
untethered from your physical form. As an action, you can project your spirit from your body. The body you leave behind is unconscious and is in a state of suspended animation. <laughs> you fool. Your spirit resembles your mortal form in almost every way, replacing your game statistics, but not your possessions. But not your possessions. Okay. Any damage or other effects that would apply to your spirit or physical body affect the other. Your spirit can remain outside your body for one hour or the or until your concentration is broken. Oh. So you concentrate on being ends. a spirit. Yeah. When your projection ends, your spirit returns to the body or your body magically teleports to the spirit space. What? That's what? so good. Excuse me? Hello? <laughs> How dare you, D&D? &D? 14th level ability. You can only use this once during a long rest. Fuck you. That's really good. Need to get to the other side of this the return thing? To, yeah, the return to body thing is dumb and stupid, but the body coming to the spirit is fucking great. It's amazing. That's, That's so a free good. teleport. <laughs> That's literally, well, not a free teleport, but it's a really no, misty step. Yeah, misty step. Better than that, because you can get a lot of distance done in one hour. Definitely like a free it, dimension door. Yeah. Uh, and you can scout the whole way through. Yeah. Uh, so while projecting, your spirit gains the following benefits. Your spirit and body gain resistance to bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing, which is good if your body's sitting there unconscious. Mm -hmm. uh, when you cast when you cast a spell of Conjuration or Necromancy School, the spell doesn't require verbal or somatic components or material components that lack a gold cost. Interesting. There, so you can cast... You can cast almost spells in your silently form. through your spirit form. Well, you can still cast in your spirit form. It's just also amazing. It's not conjuration and necromancy is silent. That's so good. So you're like a ghost. Uh, you have a flying speed equals your walking speed and can hover. You can move through creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain, but take 1d10 force damage if you remain in the object at the end of your turn. Obviously, that's the rule. Uh, while you're in the form of dread, there it is, Josh. There it is. Once during each of your turns, you deal any necrotic damage to a creature, you regain hit points equal to the amount of damage. Half dealt. the amount of necrotic damage dealt. Oh, half the amount. Sorry, yeah. That this is, is while you're in your spirit form. So cool. That's really good. I want to play this warlock class. Oh, oops. <laughs> I gotta kill brothers. No, 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 no. Never. I love that point. God, this I'm is sure. good though. This is super neat. This is a really cool ability. And I take back the vampire thing. I think it still works very well. It's I think there's a lot of synergy, but it's much more ghost related. I well, I think it's supposed to be I think the idea of this is that you're you're subservient to a lich. Yeah. Yeah, you That's work the well. undead one. Or like the god of death or whatever. Some demigod somewhere. Yeah. Some Raven Queen nonsense or yeah. some BSer. This is more warlock classes. Where the level one feature is enhanced th progressively through the frickin' sixth level, tenth level, fourteenth level, please. Yeah. That's good, D&D. &D. That's yeah. really good class design. Because you feel like you're getting more powerful. Yeah. And you also get other things. Yeah, so every time I read a new Warlock class, I like to go back and compare it to the Hexblade class. Yeah, because the Hexblade class thematically is one of the coolest, mm -hmm. but mechanically is one of the worst things I've ever read. Is that what you're doing right now? I can yeah. see your brain churning. The level, away. So let me read you the level 14 Master of Hexes ability for the Hexblade Warlock. Ready? Starting at level 14, you can 
spread your Hexblade's curse from slain creature to another creature. When a creature cursed by your Hexblade curse dies, you can apply that curse to a different creature within 30 feet of you, provided you aren't incapacitated. When you apply the curse, you don't regain hit points from the death of the previous creature. That's so bad. <laughs> That's their max level ability for that class. It's so dumb. Fucking what? Excuse me? They were basically like, what if Hex was a class? <laughs> Like, what if a warlock had a big blade? What if we made it a big blade for them? <laughs> what if that D6 thing that we do was <laughs> an entire class? <laughs> Bad. This Disgusting. is so much better than that. So much better. So much better. And very flavorful. And spirit projection could be a pain in the ass as a dungeon master to deal with. Yeah. You, obviously. If you're doing a dungeon crawl campaign... Say goodbye to half of your dungeons. Well, here's the thing. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Okay. It's not invisible. Yes, it does have to be, like, it can be attacked and everything. But People can see it. You can say, still, the so fuck you, is that? you can still see it, but you can also just kind of skip traps and bypass things is what I'm thinking. You can. Yeah. That's true. That's a selfish thing. Oh, no. I'm so selfish. I'm such a bad person. I'm no, I, I see it more as like a scouting thing. Like if you sent this down a dungeon, you would never teleport to where your body ends up. Yeah. You would you would go back to your body and be like, look, next room, there's this. Two rooms down, there's a trap. Don't step on the carpet. Further down, that's where we're going to find him. That's he's in that room. We got to go find them. I see myself using it to get over big holes and through walls a lot. That's my like, that's where my brain goes. That's... But it would take you an hour to get across the chasm. I know, it's you a know huge I mean? waste, but that's you my... You float over there, and then you're like, okay, let's keep going. I got another 45 minutes. Might as well. Body. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You can't help yourself. All right, I love the idea of, like, how every group of uh, D&D members occasionally get to that cliff. They got to get up top. Everyone's like, all right, I'll polymorph into a bird. I'll carry one of you. And the other one's like, oh, I, I can fly myself. And you're just like, okay, fall down on the ground unconscious. <laughs> Start floating up the cliff. <laughs> and then... Get you guys up there. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. This is very cool. This is very. I like good. it. I would. I would play this class through fourteenth level just to get that. Hell yeah. Yeah. It does sound like a fun one to to try and get all the way through. It's baller. Most most warlock classes to me don't sound worth it, but that one's pretty interesting. Yeah. Especially how you're like you said the the dread form upgrades each level. You get something else. Yeah, that's clever game design. A lot of the other ones don't have anything like that. No. That levels up with you. They need to do more of that. That's it. It's it makes the progression seem more powerful. Yeah. Even if it's just an illusion. So I will those, say. Oh, yeah. Um, like, again, the baseline ones, the uh, the fiend one does have the hit points that scale with you. Uh, some of the other ones. Wait, what? They still have undying. Hang on. Undying is still... So we've got undying the undead and, and undead. undying? Yeah, let's compare the end of the 14th one in undying. Yeah, that's a good call. When you become 14th level, you partake er, you partake of some of the true secrets of undying. On your turn, you can use a bonus action to regain hit points equal to 1d8 plus your warlock level. Additionally, if you put a severed body part of yours back in place, when you use this feature, it reattaches. Not horrible it's also not flash turn as a bonus action you get to heal 14 plus 1d8 hit points it's not bad it's not bad 
Thank you, tanky for a warlock. But I, the flavor and the mechanics are entirely different. I see them keeping undying and undead just independent of each other. Completely. So undying should be undead, and undead should be undying. Undi- yeah, you're right. Because undead <laughs> is the one we read earlier from Van Richten's, but this one is literally like you are a zombie. Yeah, you are are not living. Yeah, you're you're a creature. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, they've gotten names backwards. <laughs> yeah. That's so weird. Funny. But neat. I like that we have I like that we have a lot of options in the sort of death domain now. Yeah. There was not a lot of that early on in 5e. And now there is a lot. Especially with the the rest of the book that we haven't talked about is filled with like 15, 16, 17 other domains of dread that all have lore and stories and lords and maps. God, yeah, the book is filled with shit you can use to explore and throw your players in different domains. It's crazy. It is. This book is crazy. And there's a, it, it's chock full. They've done. I stand by it. We're not going to get into the domains of dread because no. it's just lore conversations, and it's like, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. Yeah. Good inspiration if you want to use it for your homebrew. If you're looking for a one shot location, that would be neat. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like a mini campaign. They do have backgrounds in here. Um, are those we're talking about? Yeah, the next page is is just it's short. It's short, and I never really get excited about backgrounds that much. Uh, they're okay. just flavor. But they have the inheritor, the mist wanderer, the spirit medium, the trauma survivor, and the traveler, which just sound like redone versions of the outlander and the haunted one. And you know, they're just yeah. I'm sure I'm pretty sure inheritor is already a background. Yeah. The, and they may these may also be duplicates of some existing backgrounds, likely the case. Yeah. Cuz sometimes they'll reprint them. Interesting. The Mistwonder one is weird because it's just you know if something is a mist talisman uh and that's all you get. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the most important thing of all they added to this book. What's that? The Bagman. Ah, okay. Tell us about the Bagman, Sean. I fucking love the Bagman idea. It's so fucking good. It's they don't even give it good. statistics, which makes it even more horrifying, and I love that. Someone, there's a snap block going around on Twitter that I've seen, and it's good if you actually want to have people fight this thing, but I love the idea that it does not fight the party. I love the idea that they just, like, kept catch glimpses of this thing. About. Yeah, the, uh... it's, it's so... For those of you who don't know at this point, the Bagman is a an idea of someone who was an adventurer and yeah. abandoned their party because they were all about to die. They just abandoned them and hid inside their bag of holding. And while they were in there, they got lost amongst the endless space and became this little, like this demonic, grotesque, hag-looking creature that just dwells in every bag of holding. And just goes and takes things from the bags or like will crawl out and steal something from a bag and like go back in. It's one of the best concepts I've ever seen someone come up with in D&D. It, that's really good. And then you're you really built upon it. Like you're you could see you fixate on it and like yeah. your mind exploded. It is brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I, I very much like what this creature uh, hints at in the larger scope of things about how bags of holding connect to one another that's 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 where i am at 
You're you're a huge fan. You're a huge. Fan. I'm a big fan of this guy. Well, God. so okay then. We talk about the Bagman, which is a good segue into the monsters in the book. Are there any monsters that really stand out to you? Um, weirdly enough, there aren't a lot of super good heavy hitting creatures. They're good like stats for uh, walking dolls and like a brain in a jar and stuff like that. Yeah. But there's nothing that I'm like, oh, this is this has been needed for a while. You know what I mean? It's also, and it's funny because we did get on our soapbox a few episodes ago and said, hey, put more low level, low CR monsters in with cool stuff, which they yeah, did I do said, here. They they are huge fans and listen to the show. That is true. But we specifically, I think we're asking for. Uh, varied abilities and legendary actions. I don't yeah. know if anything... Actually, there is something they do in this game that it, it, it doesn't really matter for this book because I don't think it was that important, but it does make you very excited going forward in Dungeons & Dragons is that some of these creatures have mythic actions. Mm-hmm. Very good. Which is surprising. I'm trying to find out which one it is. So while you're looking, I do yeah. have to say... The carrionette, which is the walking doll you were talking about, mm-hmm. not legendary actions, however, very, very interesting mechanics. You guys should check out the carrionette. It has an ability called Soul Swap, which basically means that if a creature gets hit by their silver needle attack, they trade places with the player's body. The carrionette monster gains control of the player body, and the player becomes trapped in the doll. And there are then a series of roles to escape the doll that are a part of it, which is terrifying and very cool. I love it. That, that is, is a very cool. good monster. Check out the carrionette in, in Van Richten's if you get a chance. Uh, big fan of that. Ah, that's who it is. Uh, Dullahan? Yes. The Headless Knight? The, the Headless Horseman. They have, yeah, they have legendary actions and they have mythic actions. That's and just the art that they put next to this thing is prime of everything in this book besides the Bagman. Mm-hmm. It's just a horse, or like a nightmare with a headless guy riding it and he's got a big axe. And there's all these different heads of different creatures like flying around him. There's a Gorgon. <laughs> yeah, there's like a little Nothic. There's a Medusa head. There's a bunch of orcs and goblins and shit. Oh, so good. I fucking love it so much. And it is, it's a CR-10 monster with, with legendary actions and mythic actions. Yeah. That's and very a, cool. Supposedly, it's balanced to level 10, so if you're looking for a good mid-tier boss fight, give this thing a gander. Because this is going to take a while to take down. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, mythic actions are when... Um, I think it, when it sets your health back to a certain amount. Uh, it says here for the mythic actions, if the headless. Uh, oh, it's activated when he uses one of his legendary actions. Yeah, it's cool. It stacks. Yes. So uh, headless summoning when he summons a bunch of heads, they act as his mythic actions, which is so fucking cool. badass. It's a very well designed monster. Uh, I love it so much. Anyways, they've also got, I don't know if you got into the priests sections, the priests of Osibus, but this is a CR6 monster, 
that yeah. has a bonus action, like a very specific bonus action element to it, which I also liked. So a monster oh. that had a bonus action, which is cool. Um, it's a like a recharge on a five to six Soul D6 tattoo. roll, yeah, which is cool. It's neat. Um, Interesting. You don't the, see many... You don't. Tattoos. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. I was just, I was just going to say, it's not a super long bestiary. It's, you know what I mean? And there are some yeah. things that are just redos. But they've the monsters they've put in here, there is a lot more thought into them. There is a lot more, this can, yes. here's some added things that it can do. It's pretty impressive, honestly. As you, like, dive into it, I, I do yeah. like it. I will say I did miss something that I I absolutely love from this bestiary. It's the uh, Ulmist Inquisitors. Ooh. There are these three distinct, like, mm -hmm. versions of the same sort of thing. These uh, Inquisitor of the Mindfire, the Sword, and the Tome. And they all have similar yet very distinct flavoring to each one. And I, I think they're very cool. There's also oh, the Relentless Slasher, which <gasps> is a CR8 with a legendary action. Yes. There's there's some so a lot of legendary action monsters in here. A lot of them. Yeah. Which is good. I like seeing lower level legendary creatures. Yeah. Because they may not be powerful, but they could still be legendary. Mm-hmm. And there is a CR21 monster in here. Yes, and that's like the god of dark realms. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Star emissary. Yeah. And it has two forms. Which, which is, is interesting. Cool. I think the lesser form, it can literally show up as anything. Uh, emissaries have no misplaced pride and just as readily appear as people, animals, or other creatures. So this thing could show up as a bear and just start fucking killing you. Wrecking shit. Yeah. <laughs> you can all of a sudden like, just have this voice in your mind and rip your brain out. Um, I think the greater ones are this massive, discordant, Eldritch flesh thing. pile. Yeah. yeah. They literally have a, an ability called Warp Space, where a giant series of mouthless teeth erupt from the ground underneath you and try to yeah. consume you. It's like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Unearthly bile. Great names for attacks. Yeah. Lashing a maw. <laughs> Four legendary resistances a day. Excuse me. Hello. Very good. Very good. Very good. Can we, huh? Can we talk also very? We've we've been at this for a while, but I like this book. The unspeakable horror, yeah, can art is terrifying. What is it? Have you I seen that monster card? Oh it is. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got like a bunch of. Well, they actually have a table for how to make this thing look. Oh. I don't know if you look right above the stat block. Oh, let me see. Let me see. Oh you yeah, actually the... roll a d4 to see what limbs it has. Body composition. Yeah. Wow. It's just, it's, it's just these like uh what's it called? Cronenberg type monsters. Yeah, just a flailing mass of things. Just things that are vaguely reminiscent of animal eyes and limbs and strange discordant jutting spikes. Gross. Open rib cage. It's an unspeakable horror. And immediately, almost immediately after that, is the vampiric mind flare, which also obviously freaking 
brilliant. No, it's a sin. It's a sin against God that they went down in CR once they became vampires. That is, that's, that it's is It's a gross. sin against a man that it's not like a CR 18 creature. Yeah, it got more like feral, I guess, is the, the like, canon behind yeah. it, but. Because they're, cause they're like hungry and deranged. Yeah. But God damn it, I would love to see a, Highly. like, true vampiric mind flayer, like, full mental capacity, just like Strahd, but better. That would be an amazing BBEG style bad guy too. Yeah. Yeah, that would be very cool. That'd be a fucking great villain. There you go. Sean's recommendation, guys, is a vampiric mind flare that is like the lord of vampiric mind flares. Yeah. Get it Replace, in there. Get that Strahd guy out of there. Put him. Put a fucking tentacle monster in his place and give him a mind blast. Because the concept is amazing. Of a vampiric yeah. mind flare. That is a very cool... And they have a bonus action, too, which is neat uh, to, like, throw around Disrupt there. Psyche. Yeah. Yeah. But a regular mind flare is CR, what, 13? I think so, yeah. Let me double-check that. And this it's is... CR 7. What? That can't be right. Challenge 5. Oh, yeah, because this one... I'm thinking of the one that does spells. Yeah. Because yeah. there are a lot of mind flare variants already. Yeah. With the gnome one. Yeah. <laughs> Baby mind flare. I do like them taking other things and making them into um, vampires, like the gnolls they had in... Yeah. What was it called? Uh, the... Ice Peak? Icewind yeah. Dale? Yeah, Icewind Dale. That was cool. The gnolls and the kobolds being vampiric. Yeah, That was a, a good flavor choice there. Probably the best art in that book is the gnoll on the On wall. the wall with the blood. blood. Yeah, that oh, was amazing so art. That was a fun book. That was a good book. There was a lot of stuff I, I would never use in there, but yeah. there was a lot of like good stuff as well. Yeah, that one was also like psychedelic Setting. thriller. It was weirdly, because there's a, a god directly involved with it. Well, was... yeah, but it was also like, um, it was meant to be like an isolating, mm. like you can't trust your friend's experience. Yeah. yeah which it, was funny. It leaned into horror tropes in and of itself. You're right. Yeah. It leaned into like isolation and like paranoia right in the middle of the virus and the pandemic. And everyone was like, oh, I don't it's, know if I want to do that. Because it literally is. Stuff. It's the snowed in in a cabin in the woods adventure, but yeah. with monsters. Exactly. Oh, that's um, funny. I didn't think of that. And then they were, I think it was Tasha's and then this, right? That was the order. The I think that's the team. order. Yeah. So the last two have been very like spooky, scary, thrillerish, mind bendy, fear inducing. Yeah, the last two setting ones, you're right. And I think the next one is Dragonlance, which <gasps> should be fine. That's gonna be cool. I can't wait for that. That's gonna be very good, especially with the UAs we've seen and yeah. reviewed. That's gonna have some good stuff in it. And there's there's gotta be another UA coming out for that book again sometime soon. Soon, yeah. I would assume at least. And maybe we'll go over that in next season's podcast. Maybe Who knows? we will once we decide what we're going to do. <laughs> oh, my God. But we did make it through this book. We did make it through this one. It took Van Richten, uh, what, do you, what do you rate it? What do you rate Van Richten's guide to being a guide? I don't know that there's a 10 out of 10 book there. So I'm gonna, this, is a 10, this is out of 10 scale. Um, I don't well, know. Not even if brendan sanderson made his own brendan he actually has his own ttrpg 
Uh, no, but if he made a if he made a supplement for five E that was Wizards of the Coast official, and it was the Stormlight Archive world, I could just die happy. Would that would be a nine point five out of ten? Maybe not a ten to ten. Maybe that's a ten out of ten. That maybe that's our okay. benchmark. So where does this rank on the scale of Sanderson? The, the Sanderson, Sanderson scale. scale. <laughs> that's I'm how gonna, we that's how we rate things on this show. I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give this an eight out of ten. This is a good book. This is a solid book. That's a high review for me. We've never done this before, so I know there's nothing to base your stand off. I'm putting this near the top. It's not my top, I don't think, but it is a it's a good book. I think there's there's some neat things to add. I think some of it is just kind of throwaway stuff, uh, and some of it is not necessarily super useful unless you're looking for you know what actually i'm gonna bring this down to a seven i'm taking it back it's a seven out of ten okay then we agree oh good (laughs) yeah and my reason for this is is that you don't have to have this book in your collection no and you don't have to have the things from this in your campaign i think that a lot of it is good and brings it would bring some flavor to your tabletop a lot of it is also throwaway but you could have an amazing game without any of it that's yes. that's my final say on. What do you got, Sean? Okay. You said seven out of ten too. I, I, I see some things in here that I like and would probably use. Hmm. I would not look at most of this book. I like having it there just in case I want to peruse and like use it for inspiration. Hence the seven. But I would not personally use like these horror tropes in my game. The monster stat blocks are mostly what I'm here for. The different zombies and ghosts and ghouls and creepies and crawlies that's what i'm here for and the class abilities obviously gonna have those but for the most part i probably wouldn't use 90 percent of this book there's a fair amount of throwaway content you are so accurate in that yeah, yeah. i will say though not, not all the dreads are or the planes are bad i read about this one while we were starting that there's there's one that just has a ghost train on it that ex- it was like some sort of catastrophe that happened on eberron where there's just this ghost train that it was part of some calamity and then ended up in the mists of a plane of dread. And there's just a train that runs around filled with ghosts and it sounds really cool. So stuff like that, I'd probably use for inspiration. Well, that's like, I will, when I say throwaway content, like those, those sorts of things, we've had this conversation before when we are talking about source books, these books are great just to read, to get ideas like always yeah. and forever. That stuff is amazing. That is really neat. The train. There's also a Tepest domain, like Dracula, Lod Tepest, (laughs) which is interesting. (laughs) Like there's Um, some neat nods to popular culture. There is one more thing I wanted to mention. Mm. Just it's not that big a deal, but it is uh, something I didn't notice while going through the book. There is one of the characters in one of the arts is in a battle chair. In a what? In a battle chair. Like those combat. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, it's at the top of the beast here in D and D Beyond. <gasps> I'm going to look right now. Fucking taking out some puppets with guns. It's badass. That's Bala. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, look at that. And this is very much. This is like Zabos or whatever. Yeah, his this is and this aligns with you know like that old school Strahd. Um, yeah. What's his? What's that guy's name? I forget. The this is actually master. the Dark Lord uh, Mali Maligno. 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 I like, yeah, the detectives Alanik Ray and Arthur Sedgwick. That's They're cool. probably characters in the book somewhere else. Probably. That is neat. Yeah. It's very steampunky, too. Hell yeah. Bala. 
Nice. Representation. More of that, please, Dungeons well, & Dragons. I think with this uh, this very long season finale fully wrapped up, I think we're going we're gonna to call season two here a full gonna, success. Yeah, that was a huge success. I'm very excited. It's been a wild uh, ride this season has. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a it's been a roller coaster that I didn't have straps. Yeah, you're just clinging for dear life. I didn't have I didn't have a safety harness. Well, I think I screaming. A, a big thing to say at the end of the season would be a thank you to all the people who are listening. We've we've got a pretty consistent audience and it means a hell of a lot to us. Hell you yeah. guys stick with us. Thanks everybody. We love Thanks you. Thanks for listening to us ramble for almost a year at this point. <laughs> Almost years. forty years. Oh, baba da ba, baba da ba, baba you played me out. You played did, me out. I did like the Oscars. I played you right off stage. You took a like a crook and you hooked Your it around my neck and yanked me speech out. Speech is taking too long. <laughs> Nobody likes this. <laughs> oh, take your trophy and go home. Okay, bye. I'd like to thank my mother and my father and my sister and my Fuck off! And also my grandfather. He was really inspired. <laughs> <laughs> Now season three is all mine.